Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three of the Wake Up Human podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Wills, and in this episode, my guest and I will take a deep dive into the Tao. Welcome to the Wake Up Human podcast. I'm Shannon Wills, a curious wanderer with a passion for digging into life's mysteries and mining them for wisdom to apply to our modern lives. This podcast explores the ways we humans have become disconnected from our native ways of knowing, what we have lost, and what we can gain by coming back into wholeness. Each episode will explore this theme of reconnecting with our innate human power in order to heal ourselves, our relationships, and our planet. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's jump into the latest installment of Wake Up Human. Today's guest is Solala Tauler, a modern American teacher of the ancient Chinese philosophy and practice of Taoism. Solala has taught Qigong and Taoist meditation for over 30 years. For 25 of those years, he served as editor and publisher of the magazine The Empty Vessel, the journal of Taoist philosophy and practice. He is author of 14 books, including The Inner Chapters of Chuangzu, The Tao of Intimacy and Ecstasy, and Practicing the Tao Te Ching, 81 Steps on the Way. He is a founding board member of the National Qigong Association, as well as a past president. Solala leads tours to visit Taoist temples in the sacred Wudong Mountains of China. He also leads Taoist tea ceremonies and is author of several books on tea. And if all that were not impressive enough, Solala is also a musician and has recorded four CDs of meditation and relaxation music using Tibetan bowls, flutes, harmonic overtone singing, and group chant. Our conversation centers on the theme, Taoist Tips for Getting Back to the Garden, exploring Taoism as a practice for reconnecting to our true nature and our true knowledge within the complex and sometimes overwhelming modern world. We'll weave through discussions on Taoism as embodied practice, the difference between head knowledge and belly knowledge, and guidance from the Tao on living in balance during times of trouble. We'll also have some fun exploring the Taoist way of being serious without being too serious, and we'll even ask the quasi-serious question, do white people have chi? Join us for conversation on those topics and more, coming up next. You can learn more about Solala and his many offerings at his website, abodedao.com. And now for the interview. Solala, welcome to the Wake Up Human podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you. I love the name of your podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Wake up. Waking up, putting into words what I'm hoping for myself and for all of us to be doing Mm -hmm. right now. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Well, I'm so pleased to have you on today. I have been following your work for many years. I'd say a solid 10 years plus plus. Mm. And there are so many things that I would love to ask you. But the topic I want to explore in particular today is the subject of a talk I heard you give recently. The title of that talk was Taoist Tips for Getting Back to the Garden. Now, I'll let the listeners think for a moment about what that title might be referring to, Uh uh, and we'll jump into that topic shortly. But first, I'd love for you to share a little bit about yourself and specifically your long relationship with the Tao. What was it that called you to become a student of Taoism in the first place? And how Mm -hmm. was it that the teachings became such an integral part of your life? 
Well, I've always been drawn to Eastern thought, Eastern mysticism, um, starting when I was in high school in like 1967 or eight, long before you came into this, this incarnation. <laughs> and I was living, I was, uh, I was a working class French Canadian Roman Catholic guy living in Lawrence, Massachusetts. And the, the town right next to me, Lowell, Massachusetts, there was a fellow working class French Canadian Roman Catholic writer named Jack Kerouac. Of course. Yes. And he's from the town right next to me. And when I was in high school, I read, a, I found a book of his in the library called Dharma Bums. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was his, his interactions and adventures with his friend, Gary Snyder, who he calls Jeffrey Ryder in the book. Mm -hmm. But, you know, reading it, thinking, wow, Buddhism, what's Buddhism? Wow, this looks fun. Zen Buddhism is what it was about. So I got some more books about Buddhism and read up on it. And then in 1969, I moved to Boston to go to college, ostensibly to become a writer. Hmm. And I learned very quickly within the first semester that I wasn't going to learn how to be a writer by going to college, <laughs> at least at that time. And there was a lot more interesting things happening in the parks and the streets in 1969. So I dropped out and, and started exploring um, a lot of psychedelics, which helped me a lot coming out of my shell that I had been in my whole life. <clears throat> and then uh, after about a year or so of that, I realized that the psychedelics had opened a door for me, but I needed to go through the door on my own. Hmm. So I stopped all psychedelics and uh, started doing meditation and yoga. Because there were, wasn't any Zen Buddhism or Taoism or anything like that in Boston back then. So I was doing stuff with people like Baba Ramdas and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so I kept this idea of, of Eastern philosophy my whole life. And then I was sitting Zen. I was studying Zen uh, 30 years or so, 31 years ago. And I liked it, but there was something about the rigidity of Japanese Zen that I didn't feel comfortable with. And I had been getting sicker and sicker. I had chronic fatigue syndrome for 10 years until I was totally bedridden with three children. You know, I had a business, was going to school. And so I had to drop out of all that. And Chinese herbs is what got me out of bed. Because in Western medicine, there's no cure for chronic fatigue syndrome. They, they think it's some sort of autoimmune disease. They don't really know, even know how to treat it. So Chinese got me out of bed, herbs got me out of bed, and Qigong is what cured me. Wow. So I started looking, well, what's the philosophy behind Qigong in Chinese medicine? And started reading up, studying the Tao Te Ching. And then one day I was in a bookstore in Portland in the used section, and I found a book by someone named Ni Hua Ching, Taoist master. <laughs> and, and it just, it felt, I felt like I was at another door and I could move through another door into a greater dimension of my life and my spirit. And I, so I've studied with him for 30 years now, mostly through his books. He's written about 40 books and he's pretty much retired. He's around a hundred years old now and he lives in California. And so I just started studying it very deeply and worked with local teachers, Taoist teachers. And then, you know, I've been to China nine times and studied over there and just, you know, it felt like when I discovered Taoism, it was like coming home. Hmm. It really felt like that's where I belonged and it made sense. And a lot of the things I loved about Zen Buddhism are actually very, very, Zen Buddhism is very, very uh, influenced by Taoism. Mm -hmm. okay. So the stuff about being natural, being spontaneous, going with the flow, you know, paradox, all that stuff is from Taoism, not from Mahayana Buddhism. Mm -hmm. So 
the thing I love about Taoism is that it really brings you into your body, not just into your intellect. Mm -hmm. To really understand Taoism, you need to do the practices, the Qigong, the meditation, the Nadan practices, mm -hmm. so that, you know, in Tao Te Ching, Lao Tzu talks a lot about the difference between head knowledge and belly knowledge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Head knowledge, intellectual knowledge, is not the most important kind of knowledge. Mm -hmm. The gut knowledge, the heart and belly knowledge is what's really considered the most important in Taoism. Mm -hmm. Well, and that, that brings to mind what you just said about psychedelics opening a door for you, but then you had to walk through that door on your own. Yeah. Is that experience part of what guides you through that door versus the intellectual learning? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, what is it, what is it like, or what was it like uh, to study with Ni Hua Ching? He's a great master of of Taoism. Yeah. Well, the the great thing about him is his first books, and they came out. It was first. It was Ni Hua Ching. Ni in China they put their last name first. Mm -hmm. Ni Hua Ching, Taoist master. And then after a few years, he changed it to Hua Ching Ni, teacher of natural spiritual truth, I think is what it was. Mm -hmm. And then a few years later, he just changed it to watching me. So he kind of downgraded himself in that way, mm -hmm. which is a very Taoist thing to do. Yeah, very humble. Yeah, yeah. And so he's, you know, I used to go to retreats with him, and I haven't seen him in a number of years. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, the last time I saw him, first he, he called me one of his generals, meaning because he was very supportive of my magazine and helping spread the word of Taoism. Mm. But he also called me a silly boy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I asked him a question. He said, you're a silly boy. I can call you that, is what he said. <laughs> he has a very, very thick accent. They both sound like quite terms of endearment. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of interesting. <laughs> Those are the last two things he said to me last time I saw him. Well, it's meaningful also that he was supportive, so supportive of your magazine. It's, yeah. It's such a unique magazine. I think it's probably the only magazine of its kind, at least in the U.S. It is in the West. Yeah, incre an incredible resource. And I believe it is still yeah. being published now. It is being published. I passed it on to some other folks a year, year or two, a couple years ago. Yeah. And they're still doing it. Yeah. I can definitely recommend it just in general, but especially the old back issues of which I believe yeah. are still available of the issues that you published. Yeah. They ha well, they have them and they're selling the back issues. Wonderful. Yeah. So you can get it through the, some folks in Florida. Okay. Well, I can definitely yeah. recommend it. Like I say, it's really one of a kind and I found it uh, probably in around 2009 or 2010. And I found oh. that there was not, that not only was there nothing like it, well, there was just no, there was no resource for that kind of information in a magazine format. So I just devoured that and I'm yeah. sure I'm not the only one. So thank you so much for putting yeah. your life energy into yeah. that so that we could, so many of us could benefit and still do. It was a great experience, but after 25 years, I felt like it was time to move on to other things. Yeah. There was so many things we yeah. can do with life. So, yeah. well, let's move on. I want to jump into the topic at hand. Mm which is the topic of getting back to the garden. <laughs> so I want to I give a backstory on this. Last fall, I attended via Zoom, of course, via CyberDAO, the annual Taoist gathering offered by Zhidao Guan, which is the Taoist Center in Oakland, California. Zhidao Guan is the martial arts school and Chinese medicine clinic founded by my own teacher of Taoism, Dr. Alex Feng. 
It was at that gathering that I heard you give a talk entitled Taoist Tips for Getting Back to the Garden, and I was captivated by your presentation. Mm -hmm. So the side story on that presentation is, since I was in attendance at a Taoist gathering, when I read the title of your talk, Taoist Tips for Getting Back to the Garden, I assumed that you'd be talking about the garden in terms of literally returning to nature. Mm-hmm. Turning to our gardens, spending time in our own backyard, <laughs> or maybe even tending to the soil or growing our own food as a way of connecting to the Tao. So I was pretty surprised when you began your talk, and I realized you were not talking about a backyard garden at all, <laughs> but you were talking about the Garden of Eden, <laughs> which in my mind anyway, is implicitly associated not with Taoism, but with Christianity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So at that point, of course, I became even more curious, and I thought, <laughs> how is he going to draw this parallel between Taoism and the Garden of Eden? So with that as a little teaser, I'd like to pass the theme to you and just ask you to share, what does it mean? What do you mean by getting back to the garden, mm-hmm. and why would we want to get back there? Well, I think in my talk or my notes anyway, I quoted that great Joan Mitchell song, We are stardust. We are golden. We've got to get ourselves back to the garden. And in this film I watched last night, there were people out in the desert and a telescope looking at the stars. And uh, the fellow who was leading the group was saying, we're seeing these light from these stars that took gazillions of light years to get here. And the, the light from these stars was sent out many, many, many eons ago. And that there are stars and planets and things constantly changing and shifting and exploding in space. And all these particles are drifting down and become a part of us. And uh, mm-hmm. some of the ancient Taoist teachings, they believe that great illumined masters, enlightened beings are incarnated stars. And, mm. you know, in, in Taoism, we talk, we talk about spiritual work as self-cultivation. So we're cultivating something in ourselves. So it is similar to having a garden in our backyard or a farm, wherever we are, and we're clearing the land, we're, we're feeding the soil with emoluments and various things, and then we're planting these seeds with love, you know, that we're putting in and positive energy into the soil. And then we, we guide them to grow and we take care of this plants and we take care of weeds that might be getting in their way or whatever. And we gently um, guide them to grow towards the sun. And then we get to reap the, the fruits of, of what we've planted. And so we plant spiritual seeds in our own being. And then we tend to them very gently and carefully and try to root out any negativity that we might have that might be growing in us and give those spiritual seeds a lot of room to grow. And they may grow very slowly. They may grow slowly over years or possibly even a lifetime or more. And then we get to reap the benefits, though, of this garden that we've grown, this internal garden that we've grown. And, yeah. and the Garden of Eden, you know, I, I talk, I quote things from the Bible in my Qigong classes all the time. Um, I was raised a Christian, but I'm no longer a Christian. But, you know, when, when in the New Testament, when Jesus says things like, let thine eye be single and thy body will be full of light. You know, mm-hmm. that sounds very familiar to yoga or Taoist meditation, right? The, the, oh, yes. the celestial eye. And the Garden of Eden is like when people 
were first created or in very ancient times, you can say people were living this life of they were in the garden, they were at one with their surroundings, they were at one with nature, with their environment. And then the intellectual mind started. And then they started getting in, you know, the, in uh, the Bible, I think it says that it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And whether or not there's a serpent and all that stuff, I think I, in my view, it's like they started getting interested in knowledge for knowledge sake and started getting trapped in their minds. And that's when they mm -hmm. lost that connection to the garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. And in Trunksa, he says, you know, in ancient times, people could talk to animals and animals could speak back in a language they both understood. People could talk to trees. You know, there was a communi a communing and a communication that was going on. And then people started naming things, started naming being differentiating. You're an animal. I'm a human. I'm a higher life force than you. You're a tree. You're an inanimate object. I'm a living human being. And there was a connection there that was lost, just like in that mm. other story. And that's where we want to recreate that connection with nature uh, in any way we can. When you just mentioned that this idea that at one point human beings were able to talk to the animals and talk to nature, I felt tears almost welling up in my eyes. <laughs> in fact, I think that question of what we are truly capable of is the driving force behind Wake Up Human. Mm. I actually read a book a number of years ago. I want to say it was written by Lawrence Vanderpost, who was a contemporary of Jung. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he spoke of a story of time that he spent with the Kalahari Bushmen. Right, I read some of that, yeah. Did you? Yeah, yeah, years ago. I It was fascinating to me. And he, he talked about how the Kalahari could hear the sound of the stars. Mm. And that they felt sorry for him because he couldn't hear them. <laughs> and course. he felt sorry for himself <laughs> yes. that he couldn't hear them. And he was devastated. Mm -hmm. And I share that sense of devastation because I, I sense that we have that capability. And that it's a lost capability. And I don't know if it's something that is still accessible to us. But I think what you mentioned about naming might be key because if if by naming things we lose the true relationship to them there might be a doorway for us mm -hmm. in in that knowledge i don't know how we would go about it but maybe something about separating ourselves from that naming might be a doorway back into reconnection I don't know. That's a new idea. Yeah. I wonder what you think about that. Is there a way to... Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the, in the Tao Te Ching, which is like the foremost book of Taoism written 2,500 years ago, still today the second most widely translated book in the world after the Bible. Yes. People have been reading this and studying this. And, you know, part of the beautiful story, and scholars, especially Western scholars, argue that Oh, it didn't really happen that way. There was no guy named Lao Tzu. It was a whole group of people. But anyway, I love the story. So I, I believe in the story. And the story is that he was, you know, he had a really cushy job with, in the, with the government and the Imperial Library. But he saw the society was falling apart. And they were entering what China was entering what the historians called the 
uh, the Warring States period. So all these little countries were attacking each other. And he decided to leave, to drop out. And he was on his way out to the wilderness. And the last part place of China before he met the wilderness, there was a guy there who knew him or knew of him and begged him to write something down of his teachings. And the story is that he didn't want to do that. Hmm. Because Lao Tzu, even though he was a great scholar, he was also very connected with... Uh, ancient China was called the Wu, the shamans, the Wu shamans, and mostly women. And many, many cultures, what we call tribal or primal cultures around the world, are very still very connected to sh the shamanic origin and are big storytellers. And yeah. but the idea is that these say these Native American people have these stories they're telling, and then the white anthropologist comes and he tell me the story and he's writing it down, and they're like, you don't write these stories down. If you write them down, you imprison them, you know? Yeah. And, you know, we tell the stories differently depending on the time of year, depending on who's there, depending on how we feel that night or whatever. And so he also had that aspect of this oral culture that he didn't want to write it down, but he was prevailed upon, fortunately, and he did write it down. But the very first line in the book says, the Tao that can be written about or explained or defined or put in a box is not the real Tao. The very first we line. Yes, it's putting into words. Yes. And then the next line is the names that can be named are not the true names. So the names that we give to these other beings on the planet, which defines them in a way, they're an animal kind of person or a tree person. Although, although modern people don't think of it, they just think of it as animals and trees. They don't think of person. And so I think opening our mind and our heart to feeling like, yes, we are a unique species because we can evolve in different ways. But when you read, I read a, a book recently uh, called The Inner Life of Trees, I think it was called. Yeah. Fascinating book about how the trees are all inter interconnected in their root system. And they communicate with each other through this root system. And they look out for each other and sometimes even take action. If one of the trees in the forest is sick, they will send more energy, sap or whatever to that tree. I mean, it goes on and on. But it's, you know, for people to realize that we are surrounded by, by so much life force and life energy and life beings. And the more we relax and allow ourselves to to step out of our limited sense of self, you know, and Lao Tzu says, if we, if we, it, a lot of people translate this, we didn't have a body, we wouldn't have problems. But, <laughs> but in my version, the real Taoist in, uh, interpretation of that is if we didn't have such a limited sense of self, we wouldn't have so many problems. Mm. So when we think we are just this body, we are just our mind. And then things happen. We get cancer. We lose a loved one. You know, these things happen in our life. And people panic and really lose themselves because they only are identifying with their small self instead of their mm -hmm. big Tao self or what the Buddhists call, Buddhists call their Buddha nature. Mm. So the more we can, uh, we can get sensitive by doing practices, meditation, Qigong, Nadan practices, then we, were, we feel more connected, I believe, to all the other life beings on this planet mm. and perhaps other planets. Yes, and perhaps others. Yeah. And uh, which 
reminds me that when you talked about all of us being stardust, mm -hmm. it reminded me of being a very young girl and watching Carl Sagan. I used to love to watch Carl Sagan mm -hmm. on TV. And he often said, we are all stardust. We are all made of stardust. Yeah. And I think I credit Carl Sagan with my first mystical <laughs> intimations <laughs> because I went, if we're all stardust, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And there's a real rabbit hole to, to fall into there. Yeah. Um, but a good one. But, good rabbit hole. Oh, oh my goodness a very good one <laughs> lifelong journey and so when you were just talking about us being um limited by our sense of self what occurs to me is that our world feels almost just set up to support that limited sense of self true in this we're so modernized in our world and we are actually living in ways that are quite insulated from the natural world, you know, within our homes and offices and shopping centers. And oh, yeah. but we're also technologically insulated, aren't we? Because we have the gadgets and the, mm -hmm. the thermostat that can make our world exactly the temperature we want it to be. We never have to be uncomfortable technologically. Mm -hmm. And we also, at least there's the appearance that we have the world of information at our fingertips, that we can know whatever is needed to be known by just typing something with our thumbs on, on Google. And I wonder when, for someone who is wanting to reconnect, desperately wanting to reconnect with our true nature and to be working in a place of self-cultivation, how do we even, you, you started to touch on it by saying there are practices that we can mm -hmm. do, but how do we even mm -hmm. know what our nature is when we're trying to get back to our <laughs> true nature? How do we yeah, even know what's yeah, natural yeah. and what is not when we're in yes, an artificial yes. place of limitation? Well, the one thing we need to remember is there's a big difference between information and knowledge. Yeah. And the internet is full of information, but it's not true knowledge. So that's that part about Lao Tzu talking about the difference between head knowledge and belly knowledge. Mm -hmm. He said in the world, and, like, and we can paraphrase it saying the world of modern people, every day we add more information in, mm -hmm. but in the world of Tao, every day we let go of something. You know, there's a kind of meditation we do called Zowong, which is like Zen meditation, and it's called sitting and forgetting. That's how it translates. Ooh. Yeah. That sounds powerful. It is. It is. And it's not, you know, as you know, you've been practicing these things. A lot of times in meditation, people think meditation where you just sit and empty your mind or something and follow your breath. And we do that kind of meditation, which is the Zowong, but we also do meditation where we're sending energy to different organs. We're doing the small heavenly orbit. We're doing a lot of energetic practices. Like tomorrow, my workshop is going to be about Taoist energetic energy meditation. Um, so a lot of these things like, you know, you probably heard this from Alex, these practices we do like Qigong, Tai Chi, um, are so we can get healthier and clearer in our thought processes and our emotions so that we can delve more deeply into deep practices. If you're sick all the time, your emotions are all over the place, your thought processes are all cloudy and unclear, it's really difficult to go deep. Yes. And so just like yoga from India, you know, originally it was to get people healthier so they could do deep spiritual practices. Nowadays, people think, well, yoga is just a fitness practice, but it comes from a very deep spiritual root going back just as long as it, our practices we do in China, if not longer in India.
Yes, and I learned that as well in yoga from various teachers that the purpose of the yoga asana or the lifestyle practices of yoga, which in the modern world we sometimes take as the whole shebang, but really mm-hmm. what those are meant to do is only to cultivate ourselves such that we're clear enough to be able to sit in meditation and to do our spiritual work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what Qigong originally. Qigong is a very modern term, but originally it was called Daoin mm-hmm. or uh um, what's the uh, nourishing life practices, Yang Sheng, nourishing life practices. Hmm. Well, and the, the yeah. fact that Taoism has such ancient roots all the way back to the, the ancient shamanic traditions of China, yeah. which you mentioned, and that that lineage mm-hmm. has continued apparently relatively unbroken to the modern day. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that this would be a lineage that we could follow. We could sort of follow that thread backward to a time yeah. when we humans were more attuned to the natural world. Well, you know, you mentioned the Kalahari, even our grandparents' generation, or my grandparents anyway, you know, we're, when people in this country were more, it was more of an agrarian culture, and many people lived on the land and were farmers, and they had to know how to read the signs for, see, you know, uh, weather changes. They had to know how to find water. They had to know how to take care of animals when they were sick or injured or even just communicating with their animals. You know, people were doing a lot of that in the not so far distant past in this country. But now everyone's moving to cities and, and farms are big agribusiness things and they use machines. They don't have animals anymore. And, you know, and, and in, even in China, uh, they're. Their, their idea is to build these mega cities. I mean, they have cities there of 20 million, 30 million people. And they're trying to move everyone from the countryside into those cities because they can, then they, be, they can control them more. Yes. You know, I was actually going to ask you about China. And so this would be a good entry point for that because you have led tours to China for, you said, nine years you've been? No, in- no, I've been there nine times. I've been going there since the early 90s. Oh, wow. And I've seen it change a lot. I imagine then. you have. And I I know that I tend to have a romanticized... Well, I have, I have two versions of China in my head. One of them is, you know, I don't know if I want to call it the communist China or the outgrowth of communist mm-hmm. China, which is related to what you mm-hmm. were just saying about the yeah. country wanting to bring all of its citizens into cities such that they can be controlled and what have you. Then there's this mm-hmm. other image that I have of China in my mind, which is the perhaps the Taoist image of the the Wudang mountains mm-hmm. and ancient yeah. Taoist masters and the art of yeah. the, the cultivation, self-cultivation arts. And so I wonder when you when you've traveled in China, do you find that connection to nature and to our our inner selves? Do you find that that is still accessible in China in general to people? Um, yeah, yeah. If you go to the right places, like you mentioned Wudang, which is one of the places I go, and there are Huasha, and there are different Taoist mountains. There are different Buddhist mountains. Um, and you can find people that live in a very Spartan lifestyle. Hmm. They're either at temples or they have schools. They live very, very simply. They wear very little, you know, I've never seen a Taoist wear a coat, even when it's cold Hmm. out, you know, they're really tough and they're really strong and they're very clear and it's difficult to find them that speak English. Hmm. Um, 
but I but I do have a, a wonderful wonderful woman I travel with in China who's our who's our translator and also you you need to work with someone who can't just can more than just translate Chinese to English because when they're talking a mystical language or a language about qi and qigong and things your normal Chinese person who can translate English has no idea what they're talking about and they can't translate it. So you have to have somebody that also is familiar with these ideas and these concepts. Mm. Um, I go there because I love traditional Chinese culture. Chinese, most modern Chinese people have no interest in that at all. Mm. They're building mega malls and you know, they have these big, they're tearing down the old things to build new things. Mm. And you know, it was a generation ago that people were starving to death. Millions of people starved to death in the 60s in China mm. um, during the great uh, proletariat cultural revolution. Yeah. And so, you know, I can't find fault with people that are happy to have enough food to eat and have a home where they can eat it. And, you know, but, but there is a lot being lost of traditional Chinese culture. And if you go up in the mountains, but there's still, you know, the government controls how many people can be in the mountains and it's still in control of everything. But I have met wonderful, wonderful teachers there and I really value what I've learned from them. Mm. And right now I'm learning a Tai Chi forum on a video that I downloaded from a teacher from Wudong. <laughs> so it's another one of those things where he can speak English, fortunately. So he's teaching me the movements and everything of a very beautiful kind of cosmic um, Tai Chi form, which is very unique to Wudang Mountain. Oh, I'm so yeah. glad you mentioned that because even though I understand that being in the physical place and in the physical presence with the masters of Taoism in China, mm -hmm. it has to have its own magic to it. Yeah, it does. But in the time, in this time when that's not possible or as it might be fading from possibility somewhat, be able to have mm -hmm. access even here. I remember a quote, and I don't remember if it was about yoga or if it was about Buddhism, but it was a master of the East saying that some of the Eastern traditions he expected were going to be preserved just as much or more by the Western world than they would be yeah, by true. the Eastern world. Yeah. Yeah, even Master Ni, watching Ni, one of his books, he said it's, he can see a time where Western people will need to go back to China to reintroduce them to some of their traditions mm. that are being lost there. It seems so sad, but it also, what it suggests to me is a great responsibility as a Westerner who's interested mm -hmm. in these traditions to get it right, mm -hmm. so to speak. I know that Taoism is not yeah. a tradition that focuses on getting it, getting things perfect, but to be able to understand what those the core or the seed of those teachings truly is so that we don't just westernize those in our own minds yeah and then again we need to recognize that we are westerners we are not you don't need to become a pseudo chinese person to do these practices oh yeah you know, we all the Tao is the same for everyone everyone has the same chi we may have different environmental and cultural factors that are that we have to deal with but you know our shen is the same everywhere or Dantian is the same everywhere around the world. Those kinds of things. Oh, thank you for that reminder. <laughs> and it does remind me a number of years ago, this is probably 15 years ago now, I took a class on Chinese calligraphy mm. with a man from China. Mm. And he didn't speak much English. Mm. And I was the only English speaker in the room. All of mm. the other students were Chinese. Oh. But he said something to me on the first day of class. 
he said in his in his uh, with his limited English, he mm -hmm. said to me, "You're not going to be able to learn calligraphy." <laughs> and I said, "Why am I not going to be able to yeah. learn calligraphy?" And he said, "Because white people don't have chi." <laughs> Oh, and I I still wonder about that statement. I thought, how can he no. say that white people don't have chi? No, he just had a limited understanding of chi. I think the thing about calligraphy, you know, like a lot of things in Asian studies, calligraphy, you think, well, you just put some ink on the brush and you write. But you know, as you know, you've studied it a little bit. You do put your chi into that calligraphy, and people who really know calligraphy can look at a piece of calligraphy and they can tell you what that person's energy was like just by looking at it. You know, I can't do that, but people can do that. And because there's so many subtle things that are going on that we don't have that background where they have a background of the character and what the character means and how to write it and how to put yourself into it and what the order of the strokes is in, you know, all, all those kinds of things go into it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and I you know, you, that's what he was talking about. Too. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you've studied with a good teacher, my friend, Alex Fang, yes. who's a real Taoist. And, you know, I love the way he expresses himself. He would never say, okay, well, as Taoists, we need you to do this. or we tell you to do this. He will always say, well, we suggest yes. that you try this out, <laughs> you know, if it's for you or not. Yes. You know, it's not, Taoists are not proselytizers. They're not trying to convert people to Taoism. No, no, it's more, I think, of an an invitation. Yes, an invitation. Yes. And so, and you know, and I recognize that different teachers teach differently. Mm -hmm. And I think that on on the one hand, that, that calligraphy teacher was very effective because when he told me, white people don't have chi, you can't uh. do this. He actually woke something up in me. He woke a real line of questioning oh, in me. Where uh, is the truth in that? Is there truth uh, in that? Do I have chi? And if uh, I do, how can that manifest in my calligraphy or not? And so yeah. my, my pride decided it was going to help me work on that problem or that question. You know, So mm -hmm. in one way, I'm grateful for that. But in another way, I'm grateful for the kind of teachings that say, you know, we suggest. And then you still yeah. have to find the answer your own self. Yeah, we invite you. Yes. But, you know, the thing that people, the thing about Taoism is, um, you know, it's just starting to make inroads in the West. Buddhism has been here for a long time. Sufism, Hinduism, yoga. Most people know very little about Taoism. And also, they don't know that there's two strains of Taoism in modern China. Mm -hmm. The Tao Jia and the Tao Zhou. Tao Jia, more like what I teach and what Alex teaches, which is more of classical Taoism from Lao Tzu, Chuang Tzu, before there was any religion called Taoism. You know, Lao Tzu was not a Taoist. Zhang Tzu was not a Taoist. And it wasn't until, you know, 900 years or something, thousand years after Lao Tzu, that this religious form of Taoism came into being, Tao Zhou. And there they have temples and priests and nuns and monks and liturgy and ceremonies and many, many rules you have to follow. And most people in the West aren't so interested in that end of Taoism. I mean, it has its beauty. It has its value for sure. But I think people here are more interested in sometimes it's called philosophical Taoism, yeah. classical Taoism. They don't feel the need to become a priest. I do have friends, Western friends who are Taoist priests and do ceremony and stuff. That's what they're called to do. And I'm, that's not what I'm called to do. Mm -hmm. And I think Taoism has more to offer 
more people in a in the classical way of you can do these practices if you're a practicing Jew or you know Christian whatever you don't have to become a Taoist to do qigong to help yourself right that's the beauty of it or to go to get some to, to learn Chinese medicine or to avail yourself of, of Chinese yeah. herbs or any of that and and then it's always been interesting to me that this branch of Taoism being called philosophical mm -hmm. Taoism because sure there's a philosophy behind it but it's actually not so philosophical at all because it is just full of these lively practices yeah. the young sheng nourishing life practices they call it there you go these yeah. they are they're nourishing yeah. practices and it's very practice based mm -hmm. and so i think that calling it philosophical taoism doesn't entirely do no, it no that's why i've been kind of using the term classical taoism going mm -hmm. back to before there was a taoist religion before there was taoism are you familiar with a mm -hmm. teacher named Chung Liang L. Huang? No. Oh, well, your listeners and yourself should look him up on YouTube. He's, okay. um, he's an amazing guy. He's 80-something, and he's a dancer. He's a very high-level Taoist, um, not a priest. And he's, he came here in the 60s, and he worked with Alan Watts and Joseph Campbell. He's from that era, and he's one of the last of those guys still around. And he's a Taiji master and he teaches, I've seen him teach classes at like 200 people and he's up there and he's, he's dancing, he's telling stories, he's reciting poetry. He has a big piece of paper and he'll write a character on it. Mm -hmm. And then he'll say, I'm going to show you how to dance that character. Ah, there's that joy, so that it's not there's just, that joyful irreverence. Yeah, yeah. So he really embodies the practice and he teaches us how to embody our understanding. So it's not just an intellectual understanding. Oh, I recognize that character, that shape of that character. No, what is the energy of that character? How do you express that energy in your own body of that character? Yes, yes. Well, yeah. I mean, that reminds me also of my own teacher, Alex, who he won't let us get away with just acting like we know something because we can, <laughs> he'll say, show me. Uh-huh, yeah. You know? And not yeah. just show me, but there's just this joy that I find running as a, a thread, a common thread through mm -hmm. the Taoist tradition. Oh, yeah, yeah. And also sure, a reverence. Sure. There's just laughter and there is an element of fun and enjoyment also. Yeah. Yes, if there's no joy, then what's the point? Yeah. Well, I mean, a Taoist would say that, but not yeah. everyone would. Well, no, but <laughs> Master Ni nee says if you don't enjoy your practice if it doesn't give you pleasure don't do it yes. not like well now i have to do my qigong this is very serious stuff here and i'm going to do it i don't feel like it but i'm going to do it because that's what i have to do he's saying don't bring if you bring that kind of energy to your practice or even to your meditation sit with joy <gasps> otherwise a lot of people think of it they have this real somber face when they're doing their practice this is something serious that we're doing here no, it's it's really should be. This is how you express your own joy, your own Tao. Mm. You know, Tsung Liang says, you know, everybody has their own unique expression of Tao. Mm. We don't have to. In his Taiji classes, he said, we're not in the army where we're drilling and everyone has to do exactly the same movement, exactly the same way, the same time. Learn the form, learn the movement, and then learn how to express your own form. Mm. It feels like such wise advice. Yeah. It also feels like common yeah. sense advice, really. Doesn't it seem commonsensical mm -hmm. to say, do what you enjoy? 
follow your yeah. enjoyment. But we have such a, a, a puritanical bent, I would say. It's at least in some branches in our society, mm-hmm. there's this puritanical bent that we need to be serious about things if we want to learn them. Well, there's a way of being serious of really being committed to your practice. Mm-hmm. Committed. So it's not just, well, I do it. I have a Tai Chi class, so I just do it once a week when I go to my class. You know, you're never going to learn the form that way. So you're committed, but you're also finding a, a place of joy and lightheartedness, what they used to call lighthearted. Mm-hmm. You know, how in Taoism we think the Shen, our spirit, resides in our heart. Mm-hmm. So this thing about following your heart, learning things by heart. And even in the West, we have this phrase, lighthearted. Yes. And people think, well, your heart is this muscle that contracts and expands and pushes the blood all through your body. Well, how can you have a light heart muscle? But it's something beyond that that people knew back in the old days, they would use these terms, lighthearted. And it suggests a different understanding or a different connection to our own physical bodies. Yeah. Well, you know, when we do these Taoist practices and in Chinese medicine, the organs are considered uh, like emo- our emotions are considered energetic states, mm-hmm. not just psychological states, energetic states. And a lot of them are connected or associated with specific organs, right? Mm-hmm. The liver connected with um, the negative aspect of, of uh, anger, but the positive quality of free flowingness and flexibility. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we do, I teach meditations where we go through each of the organs and we use the colors, the, the, the uh, power animal, you know, uh, the positive and negative emotional qualities, all that. It gives people a sense of their body in a whole different way mm-hmm. and their emotions in a whole different way. I have these emotions because people are treating me bad or my mother didn't love me or, you know, different kinds of things. And they, you realize, well, there's other ways of treating that. I'm having a lot of anger issues. So I have to think about it psychologically. Well, you may have a, you're stuck a liver. <laughs> your liver may be too toxic because mm. of the way you're eating or drinking or whatever. And you can do lifestyle choices and you can do meditations on cl- cleansing and tonifying that organ. And you can help your psychological state. This is where those practices, doing the actual practices would come in as so importantly, right? Because it's mm-hmm. one thing that our emotions affect our bodies physically, that our emotions affect mm-hmm. our physical bodies. But it's, it's one yeah. thing to hear that. And it's another thing to then actually do practices to understand what that feels like. And then it becomes real to us because we, yeah. we are not going to believe something just because someone tells us usually. Yeah. Well, there's another level people now know, oh, well, stress is bad for you. Mm-hmm. Stress can have uh, big ramifications with your health and things. That's kind of a real surface level understanding. And then if you go start going deeper and deeper on emotions as energetic states, yeah. that's a whole other kind of understanding. And our body is just this sort of thing with organs and things are happening we don't really understand you know there's chemical things going on and the lungs and heart and everything but to really understand how the body really works energetically gives us a better understanding Mm. and then we start projecting that out into the world Mm. and we don't and remember that idea of if we have a limited sense of self our whole consciousness begins and ends with our body yes And then it goes up, but then it can go out further and further and further. And we do these meditations where we actually have a sense of self that goes all the way into the universe. Mm. And we experience ourselves as this vast being, 
interconnected with all other vast beings. The more you talk, the more I'm recognizing how just the practices and the meditations sound like almost the answer to every question. Just <laughs> jump in there and do these practices and let the practice be the teacher. Yes, yes. That's that's a big part. I tell people you learn a practice from a teacher, but you do it long enough, the practice itself becomes your teacher mm -hmm. and will show you different things. You're doing the same Qigong practice you've done for 20 years, and then one day... Your arm just moves in a slightly different way. And you go, oh, that feels very different. Uh -huh. Oh, I see. This is how I should be doing it, at least from now on, until I get the next lesson. But it's not like someone looked at you and said, your arms aren't correct. Move your arm in a different way mm. by one and a half inches. But the practice starts teaching you. Mm. And, you know, Taoists are very much like Native people, tribal people. You know, we have spirits all around us we're living in a world of vast spirits like we're a fish in this ocean of vast spirits and we have guiding spirits we have ancestral spirits there are nature spirits and the more we can open ourselves to connecting to those spirits the more guidance we receive from them yeah. and the more we can quiet our mind and heart to tune out all the static that's going on all the time in our minds and then we can start hearing what in the Bible they call the still, small voice within. Yeah. <laughs> so We keep coming know. back to this term or this idea of interconnectedness or things being connected to one another. And it leads me to one, one last thing I'd love to ask you, if, if you have a f just one more minute. I have plenty of time. No worry. Wonderful. Because I think this is a, an important question. I very much want to get your thoughts on it. Sure. So. We're living right now through a very challenging moment in history. It's obvious to all of us <laughs> around the world and particularly here in the U.S. So with the pandemic, the social unrest, the lack of confidence in our leadership right now on various sides. And now we have this hovering potential for violence mm -hmm. in our country, not to mention the ecological crises. <laughs> yeah, global warming. All of this. And so we're navigating some rough waters together as a country and as a world. But we've been navigating rough waters as human beings for ages. And I think spiritual traditions like Taoism are designed, at least in part, to provide us with the guidance and the strength for living through these kind of times of, of trouble. I think that some of the trouble that that I see happening seems to be rooted in the lack of a sense of interconnection, mm -hmm. the lack of a sense of us all actually being in it together. And yeah. I'm curious what you think Taoism with its long history and insight into the, the nature of interconnectivity would suggest to us for living skillfully right now in this time yeah. of trouble. Yeah, well, this idea of interconnectedness or interrelationship you know, that we're all related, you know, with the, uh, the Lakota, when they make a prayer, they say, and all my relations. They may be praying, my mother is sick, I, can, I, can I get her some help? But then they say, and so it's not just praying for their mother. They're praying for all our relations. You know, the winged people, the, what, the, the legged people, the swimming people, you know, all the different kinds of people. You know, Lao Tzu wrote that a jing in a time of social, political turbulence. Um, there are many plagues that went through ancient China, you know, there the different dynasties rising and falling. And if you take the long view of history, 
and you realize the human beings have been through all kinds of things. There were great civilizations in ancient Egypt, Mesopotamia, um, Peru, all these great that were flourishing for their time and then, you know, disappeared. <laughs> and yeah. our, we think, well, we're in this great point of civilization, modern civilization, and it's only going to get better and better and better. And there may come a time when civilization as we know it now may fall and something new will come about. And whether that's from climate change, political instability, or just evolution, you know, human societal evolution. And so I know a lot of people are feeling fearful right now. And a lot of people are feeling really lonely because there are people that are cut off. There are people living in an apartment in New York City and they're afraid to go out. You know, they're just living by themselves and they're feeling very lonely and they don't have human contact. They don't have, they're not hugging each other. You know, there's, they don't get that kind of medicine, you know, healing. And so it's really hard for people like that. And so yeah. they feel really cut off. Like I'm just living here by myself and they're just watching a lot of bad television and, you know, it's just hurting them more and more. They're eating bad food. Why should I bother to try to eat healthy food? I'm just going to eat whatever I want. Or people are feeling very fearful. And so I think to, to do the practices, to go within, to identify yourself as a vast being and that, you know, you're who you really, really are is not just your human body and your human history, um, you know, that we are interwoven with all of life. And it's, it's important to feel, to not just have this woo-woo idea about it, but to really experience it takes time and it takes really delving deep. And not everyone's ready to do that. Yeah. You know, not everyone on this planet, people just want to, it to be over. They just want the COVID thing to be over so they can go back to the bar and have fun with their friends again. Yeah. You know, they don't realize that things are going to be different. It's not going to go back the way it was exactly. At least that's what I'm hearing from, from a lot of people. There, we're going to have to, because COVID is just the latest one. There's, a, there's more coming down the line because of the way the human and the animal world are interrelated and how the whole world is connected now in a way that things can move very quickly around the, the planet. You know, and mm -hmm. they're learning more things now about how these things work. And if we, get an, if we get a new, you know, people in our government that are more on top of these kinds of things, and if people start connecting and communicating and working with other countries, it's going to take a global effort. And, and that's a good thing. And the more we're talking about earlier, the connection we have now through CyberDAO, through internet, and the more people work on a global level, um, I think it's just good for the human race. And we've just had a you know, political dynasty in there that didn't believe that and believed that that was the wrong way to go. And we needed to have America first and, and shut ourselves off from the rest of the world. But we see where that's gotten us. We're one of the worst places in the country with COVID and, and political unrest. And hopefully the new folks are going to work really hard. I know they're going to work really hard. And a lot of people around the world are working very hard. Science, scientists, people, political people, and spiritual people are working very hard. And I think the key is that global, that idea of globalness. And so mm -hmm. it's not just you're Chinese, I'm American, you're the enemy. You're Russian, I'm American, you're the enemy. You're, a, right. you're just a dead inanimate tree kind yeah. of thing. Huh. You know, a quote comes to my mind. 
that seems relevant to this, which is Thoreau. Henry David Thoreau has a quote, read not the times, read the eternities. Mm. Yes, he was yeah. very influenced by Taoism. Him and Emerson read Taoism. Yeah. The, they called themselves the transcendentalists. Exactly. <laughs> and actually that transcendentalism is what came to my mind as I heard you talking. Now, some mm. of us may be willing to step into those waters and some of us may not, mm -hmm. but the ability to transcend our own personal or individual interest or our own personal political party or what have you, mm -hmm. to be able to transcend that and to be able to expand our vision not only could it help us to take in the whole world to to expand our sense of interconnectedness mm -hmm. with the whole world, mm -hmm. but also it might give us permission or or urge us on a little bit to do that kind of internal self-cultivation that you're talking about. Because when we do the the self-cultivation, we're tapping into something that is more eternal. We're we're mm -hmm. tapping into something that goes beyond our limited physical body and something that might be more timeless and might have some wisdom for us. Yeah, and Taoism, we have this term returning to the source, hmm. or what, yes. what Bob Dylan called bringing it all back home. <laughs> all, the mystic quest in all religions, you know, all paths is to returning to source, source with a capital S, which mm -hmm. Lao Tzu called Tao. And it was almost like he said, there's something vast and unmoving, un un that's moving, but unchanging, you know, that's been here forever, that'll be here forever. And I don't really know what to call it. So I think I'll just call it Tao. You know, it was almost like he just pulled it out of a hat. And Tao is a noun we call Tao, but it also is a verb. So mm -hmm. the, the first line of Tao the Jing, Tao Ke Tao Fei Chang Tao, directly translated as Tao that can be Tao, not eternal Tao. So we translate as Tao that can be put into words, but it has a lot of different nuances and meanings. And so we all want to we all want to transcend. Well, not we all, but people who are true mystics want they can use whatever form, Sufism, Islam, you know, Christianity, Judaism, Taoism, Buddhism, Hinduism, as a pathway to return to what we call source, which is where we all come from and where we would all like to dwell. You can go as deep as you want, or, or you, you can just be someone who keeps an open mind and open heart. Sure. That's another way to practice. Yes, we can each find the way in our own way. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of going deep, I would love to ask you to share anything that you have in the pipeline right oh. now or current work that you're doing. Yeah, well, I'm doing a weekly class on the Tao Te Ching, and we're doing practices from Tao Te Ching, not just the reading about it. Because my book, Practicing the Tao Te Ching, is offering Tao Te Ching as a Taoist manual for self-cultivation. So I have the verse, I have a commentary explaining it, and then I have a practice. There's 81 practices in that book. Really simple Qigong meditation lifestyle practices. And I yes. teach a weekly class on it through Zoom. And then I do workshops once a month, Qigong. I'm doing one this weekend on Taoist energy meditation. And they're all recorded. So anyone who can't make it, they still get a link to the video. And then, you know, I have a lot, many books. And it's all on my website, abodedao, A-B-O-D-E-T-A-O.com. 
And there's a lot of information. There's a lot of free articles and interviews and some of my music and video from China, from my, my friend who's the hermit who lives in a cave up in Wudong Mountains. I just created it as a way for people to go and really go as deep as, as they want and get a lot of information and um, guidance. So, and then Insight Timer, for those of you who know Insight Timer, which is, it's huge. I have some uh, courses on there, 10-day courses, um, one called Qigong for Troubled Times, <laughs> like today. And then I'm working on a 30-day course on Dao De Jing that'll be going up in March. And I do a free uh, live session every Monday night. So anyone who's a member of Insight Timer can go onto these things. It doesn't cost any extra or anything. Wonderful. So people can find you on Insight Timer. People can find you on your website. And I have a couple other books called Tales from the Tao. And one that I just published called More Tales from the Tao. And they are 2,000-year-old stories from China that I've kind of rewritten and kind of opened up. And I think yeah. it's a fabulous way to learn about something through stories. Instead yes. of just, this is what Taoists believe and don't believe, you can read the stories that really express these ideas and views of Taoism from these 2,000-year-old mm -hmm. stories from Chongsa and Laitze. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we learn in linguistics is that, you know, we may not be able to understand the language another person is speaking, but if the story can be translated, mm -hmm. we can connect to that story without needing to understand the language. Story yeah. has that yeah. universal power behind it. That's how everyone taught originally yes. with stories. I was out hunting and I came across a salmon I'd never seen before. And, you know, on and on, the stories, the coyote stories, you know, the spider woman stories, all the stories. You know, the, the Bible is full of stories, you know, all, yeah. all these great traditions, uh, the Bhagavad Gita, you know, is a story of, of Krishna and, and Arjuna and on the yes. battlefield and, you know, stories. That's, I think, the best way to communicate with people. So that's why I wrote those two books. So wow. they're, they're on my website. Thank you for everything that you do to bring sure. the stories of Tao, the teachings of the Tao yeah. to the modern world. I think we sorely need mm -hmm. these kinds of teachings and we sorely need the teachers who can translate them into our modern language and our modern worldview. So thank you very much for the gift that yeah. you've given to the world. Well, you're so, so welcome. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. It's been fun. You can probably tell I really enjoy talking about these things. It's fun for me. Yes, as it should be, as, as you say, right? <laughs> yeah. If it's not enjoyable, don't do it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Wake Up Human podcast with Solala Towler. If you did, note that during our interview conversation, Solala offered a guided meditation for listeners. That meditation is available for listening in the show notes for this episode. To find it, visit the podcast page on my website at shannonwills.com forward slash podcast. And to learn more about Solala and his work, you can visit his website at abodedao.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.